word together. This comes from Mark 7, verses 24 through 37. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile and a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought, him, brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Epapta, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is God's word. You may be seated. Please pray with me. Father, we confess that we are um, deaf and we are mute uh, when it comes to hearing your word and singing your praises. And so we ask that you would open our ears and open our mouths um, to shout forth your praise with joy, to proclaim how good you are because of how low you have come to save us. So we thank you. Amen. Uh, so last week we talked a lot about what it means to be unclean. Uh, and, and Jesus was making the point to the Pharisees that it's a matter of the heart. The human heart is evil, right? From out of the heart comes all kinds of evil, wicked things. Uh, the human heart is sinful, and so no amount of, the point was, no amount of religious rules or external actions or behaviors uh, is going to change that, and God must save us by grace alone. So in this next se section, we see that the kingdom of God now is, is um, not uh, restricted. It's, it's spreading to foreign lands, uh, to people of every class and, and race in life, and so there aren't cultural or ethnic or social barriers that are attached to the gospel. Uh, the mission is for the gospel to reach the ends of the earth. And so compared to last week, we see how the religious leaders, uh, they're the ones who are filled with pride and who view themselves as uh, morally and intellectually and spiritually superior to especially groups like the Gentiles, right, um, the dogs. And, and yet here we see a story, um, actually two stories, 
of how even Gentiles are becoming, um, they're, they're, they're coming to faith in Jesus. And so what I want you to know is this, that, that Jesus meets us. Jesus meets me. Jesus meets you in our deepest needs, our deepest need. Uh, wherever we're coming from, no matter what it is that we've experienced, God knows our struggles. He knows our pain. He knows our doubts, our fears, and he's able to help us. This is the God that is speaking this morning to us, and I want us to think about it um, by, by looking at these two stories about two, two beggars. Uh, first, there's the beggar who came, and second, there's the beggar who was brought. So we're going to look at two stories from chapter 7. So let's read chapter 7, verse 24. And from there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. All right, so we, we, it's like, again, we, we see that um, Jesus has reached this point of being physically exhausted, right? He's tired from lots of ministry. And so he goes to this region where hopefully he'll find some rest. Uh, the region of Tyre was a Gentile region, a, a non-Jewish region. So um, maybe he wouldn't be as popular there. And he gets away and, gets, and arrives to this region. And guess what? What happens? Right? Plan is interrupted, right? No, no rest for the weary. Um, and this woman disrupts him. And Mark tells us that she's uh, three things. She's a Syrophoenician. She's Gentile, and she's a woman. And in, in Jewish culture, and in, in Jewish custom, that is three strikes against you. In other words, if you, have, if you are any of these things, let alone all of these three things, you cannot approach a Jewish rabbi. That's just a no-no, right? Because you're unclean. That's the reason. And that doesn't stop her, right? We, we read she, she goes into the house that Jesus is staying at, she walks on in, barges on in, and she makes her case. She begs for him to help her daughter. Um, now, anyone who's a parent um, can probably relate to her boldness, uh, right? If your kid's hurt and needs to see a doctor, I mean, you're rushing to the ER, right? It's the middle of the night. It doesn't matter what time it is, what's happening in the day. You're going to make adjustments to your schedule, no matter what's going on, to, to get, get your kid there, right? Uh, I'll share one example. Uh, a good uh, friend of mine and uh, a fellow pastor, his name's Sam, and his wife Susan, their daughter, uh, Margaret, had a virus. And this virus was so severe, it actually caused neurological damage. And so she's lost the ability to speak. And so, and she actually, she can't move certain parts of her body. And so she's, uh, it's 32 days now. Today is 32 days in the hospital. Um, she started some rehabilitative physical therapy stuff finally, and she's, I think she can say four or five words right now, um, which is just really sad. Um, you know, pray for them. It's got to be really, really hard to, to be going, going through that. Um, but, but they have been there with their daughter, right, for 32 days without question, you know, that they would be there for their, for their, for their daughter. Um, because that's what, that's what parents will do for their kids, and, and so I think we can understand, we can relate to this woman, why she shows up begging. 
And so what's Jesus, what's his response? Um, I think that we're going to find his response a little bit alarming and surprising. So verse 27, and he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Huh? Right? Like, say what, Jesus? That's, uh, that's not the most sensitive thing that you could say to a woman who's begging for her daughter. Um, all right, meek and mild Jesus is saying something that's not so meek and mild here. Um, I think we're used to, to seeing Jesus in a more compassionate uh, tone. And, and here there's this different image, right? He's kind of just blowing her off. Um, it's not really the kind of thing we would expect. Um, okay, so I think most of you by now have met our puppy, Rue, right? So we got a dog. Her, her, she's a little, little pup. And um, I didn't realize how there's a dog-loving club, like a secret society, like secret canine society, until we had a dog. And then it's like, oh, wow, all of a sudden, like, we, we're in now. We're in the in club of this, like, dog-owning uh, society. And I, I'm convinced that, like, everybody in San Diego has a dog. I mean, pretty much everybody. Um, it's crazy how, how many dogs. And, and post up a, a picture of your dog on the internet, right? Post it on social media, and you just watch the likes climb, right? They just like skyrocket. Like, people love puppies. People love dogs. Well, in this culture, first century, people didn't really like dogs very much. Like, you would have gotten zero likes for a dog, a, a puppy picture. Um, dogs were wild scavengers. They were, um, you know, not really perceived as, as household pets usually. Um, one thing that we've picked up on is if we don't give Rue a bath after about a week, right, she stinks really bad, right? We have to bathe her about every week. Otherwise, because she just rolls in the dirt outside and she gets really stinky and she's unclean, right? And so that's, that's actually um, what the, why the Jews called Gentiles dogs is they were referring to them as unclean. Um, and so it would have been insulting to call this woman essentially a dog, so was Jesus trying to insult this woman? How many say yes? How many say no? No? No yeses? All right. Not one yes. Okay. Well, you're right. Um, he was not trying to insult. Um, here's why. So the statement here is a, it's a short statement, but it's a short parable. Right? So it's a, it's a metaphor. And we can't see it in the English, um, but in the, the, the Greek word that he uses uh, for dogs, it's like little dogs, right? Puppies is what he's, what he, what he's referring to. And this woman's a, a mother to a daughter. She knows how families eat, right? Children eat at the table, and then the pets eat, right? You don't reverse that order. There's a, there, the puppies don't eat the food first before your kids eat. That's not right. The Apostle Paul, he says something very similar in Romans, writing to the Romans in, in chapter 1. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first, and he says, and also to the Greek. All right? So, so salvation is going to the Jews first, and then second to the Greeks, to the to the non-Jews. Um, and so he's not trying to insult this woman; he's just telling her the unfolding mission plan. But this woman won't take no for an answer. I find that interesting, right? It's verse twenty-eight. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way, the demon has left your daughter, 
And she went home and found the, ch- the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Right? And so, I mean, she, it's so fascinating because she uses the same parable that Jesus just said. And she now she kind of turns that parable and uses it to her favor. And she accepts Jesus' challenge here. So she's basically saying, right, I'm not from Israel, yeah. Um, I'm not even a Jew, right? I'm, I'm a pagan Gentile. And, and yet even the puppies eat after the kids do, right? So she's, she's asserting that the, the, the truth here. And she's saying, I want my meal. Um, it's a really incredible response. And, and notice that she doesn't base her response, this request, on her own goodness, right? It's not on something that she can contribute or anything like that. She says, give this to me on the basis of your goodness, of your care, who you are, right? As the one who gives food and even the crumbs go to the puppies. Um, how can Jesus say no to such an answer, right? I mean, that's, that's incredible, right? Enters the parable, sees this point, and, and, and shows, uh, shows that that's what, he, what, um, what, he, what he's really saying. Um, I, I think we have a ton to learn from this woman. We have a lot to learn from, from her because she is a woman who saw in this moment, she saw and believed the whole gospel. Um, Tim Keller uh, puts it like this, the gospel is that we're even more sinful than we ever believed, and yet that uh, we're more loved and accepted than we ever dared, dared hope. Um, I love, it's beautifully put, um, emphasizing those two things, right? There's no pride in her response. Uh, pride says, I don't need this. Um, I don't have to put up with this kind of thing. You know, this kind of treatment. You calling me a dog. I don't really like that very much, right? I mean, that, that pride would have that response. Um, but she, ex- she accepts her place in God's story. She knows that she's unclean, not fighting with God, fighting with God on her status before him, and, and she doesn't take offense like I think we would. I would take offense to that, I'm pretty sure. Um, how dare he call me a dog, right? or a puppy? Um, I'm at least a big dog. No. Um, and, and then there's no self-pity in her answer, right? So there's no pride, and then there's no self-pity. Uh, pity, pity says, I'm so bad, right? How could God ever love me? Right? I'm not good enough. And, and, and kind of relishes and, and sits in that. And she doesn't wallow in pity. Instead, she makes her case and she persists. I think we can learn from her in that. Um, and sometimes I think that's how we draw near to God. Maybe you think back to the time when uh, you came to faith, if you're a Christian, um, and you were like this woman. You were persistent. You were praying. Other times, though, and for other people... Um, we might be drawn to God in a very different way. We may have no idea how we ended up where we are, and yet here we are, right? <laughs> this is where we ended up. I'm kind of reminded of C.S. Lewis. Um, you know, he went on a stroll, on a, a, a normal walk, and, uh, and he was going with a, with a friend. At the beginning of that walk, he was not a believer. But on the return, right, he found himself believing in Christ. Just that change happened in an instant. Um, and I, here's kind of a, a different story that Mark tells us, so I want to focus on this story, the beggar who was brought. Um, verse 31. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Gal- Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. 
And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his finger into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Apatha, that is, be open. And his ears were open, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Um, I think we're meant to see a a similarity um, if we're reading through the Gospel of Mark kind of all at once, right? We would see that there's a similarity to what story? Um, The quadriplegic, right? The paralytic, um, how his friends, you know, they, they, um, they brought him through the roof and brought him down to Jesus to, to, to seek healing for their friend. It's, it's very similar to that story. Um, the deaf and mute man's friends bring him to Jesus. Um, and that's very different, right, from how the woman came to Jesus. Because she came on her own begging. This man comes not himself begging, but friends beg on his behalf. And so Jesus takes this man away from the crowd. He, he touches the inside of his ears. He uh, puts saliva on his uh, hand and, and touches the man's tongue. And then looks up to heaven and says, be open. And hearing this, right, we might first think this is weird. And we might think this is like a weird magic trick. You know, like, why are you doing it like that? Uh, like a, he, he seems like a wonder worker. Um, showy and flashy. Uh, but Jesus isn't doing this to draw power from a source or anything like that. He's not trying to conjure something. He's doing this because the man he's healing needs this. He gives us exactly what we need uniquely, personally. Um, notice how, how Jesus deeply enters into this man's world, right? He touches his ears. This is a man who can't hear. He touches the tip of his tongue. This is a man who cannot speak. He's entering into his world. He's speaking sign language. He's speaking in a way that this man non-verbally can understand. And he's saying, I'm going to open your ears, right? By touching your ears, by touching your tongue. I'm going to open, I'm going to untie your tied tongue. And uh, this is how God speaks to us. This is, this is the God who, who condescends, who comes down. Uh, I love how, how one theologian put it. This is the God who comes and he speaks baby talk to us. Right? Like, I need a lot of baby talk. Like, I need God to, like, speak in a lot of ways that I can understand, like, many different ways. This is how God speaks to us. He gets down to our level, enters our experience, our pain, our brokenness, our world, and he speaks to save now, you may not have noticed this, um, and that's okay. Um, we pro- probably missed it, but did anyone catch in verse 35, uh, 34? Did anybody catch that, that Jesus sighed? Did you notice that? Um, why would he sigh, or, or another way to put it, why would he moan? It's kind of an interesting behavior. All right, we usually do that when we're tired, we're fatigued, we're, or we're in pain. We might do it. Uh, like... When we have a lot of work to do, right, we feel overwhelmed, oh, got to do all this, right? Um, this, this is a man who all of his life has never heard anything, has never been able to speak, and, 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 and Jesus is identifying with this man in his isolation. He's identifying with him. 
The word Mark uses here for mute is a Greek word that, that shows up nowhere else in the New Testament. In fact, it doesn't show up anywhere else in the entire Bible except one place in the Old Testament. Can anyone guess where that is? We heard it in the call to worship. Isaiah chapter 35, verse 5. Um, for context, I want to read Isaiah 35, 4 to 6. Um, this is where the rare, rare word is used. So he says, Isaiah 35 says, Say to those who have, who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with recompense of God. He will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. Right. Here Mark's saying that, that the blind's eyes are opening, the deaf's ears are opening, the mute is now singing for joy, is shouting for joy, because God has come just as Isaiah promised he would. God has come to save. Jesus has come to save. It's the, he is the one that we've been waiting for. And um, on the cross, right, Jesus identified with us in all of the ways that we needed most. All of the ways we need it most. On, on the cross, the very child of God was tossed outside without a single crumb so that we could be welcome to the table to eat and have fellowship. On the cross, the child became a dog so that we would become sons and daughters seated at the table. I mean, that's, that's the picture, right, that we get from this passage, the picture of the gospel in this text, that Jesus is the one who became deaf and mute and dead for us so our ears and our tongues and our bodies could be free to worship God as our creator and as our redeemer. It doesn't matter how you come to Jesus. All that matters is that you come. And come begging. Um, uh, D.A. Carson, he, he put it like this. He said, um, he said uh, uh, we're nothing more than poor beggars telling other poor beggars where to find bread. Martin Luther, on his deathbed, as he was dying, his last words were, we are beggars, this is true. It's a good thing to be a beggar before God. Like, that's, that's, that's where we need to be. Um, it's a good thing to know our place before him. The opposite of a beggar is somebody who thinks, I got it all figured out, I got it all together, I know how to get things done, I don't need help. Right? But a beggar is somebody who pleads for help. And he pleads for others for help. And, and that's the place we need to be in. Saying, Lord, help me. Lord, help this person. Uh, one example from this week. Uh, this week, uh, I think a lot of us remembered 9-11. And um, my beautiful wife uh, shared uh, with our kids a couple videos so that they could kind of enter into uh, what happened, you know, because they were not born yet. Um, and, and so we watched some videos, and later that night, um, as we were doing bedtime prayers, our oldest son prays, and he says, Lord, I pray for all of those who are flying in airplanes tonight that you'd protect them from getting hijacked and crashing, right? I mean, that, that's, he was begging for God to protect those from the, the, the evils in this world, right? That's the place of a beggar that we need to be in, right? Begging for, pleading our case before God. 
And the only way we have access to God is through Jesus. The only way we come to eat at this table, to eat more than just crumbs, is if we accept that we're unclean, but we don't leave it at that, right? We don't, we don't just leave it at the fact, I'm unclean, okay. But we come to Jesus, right? We come begging like this woman, like the friends brought this man. And if we do that, we find out that we have free access to God anytime. We have free access to the meal, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. Because in Jesus, you're accepted and you're loved. In Jesus, you're not a dog, you're not a puppy, but you're a son and you're a daughter in Jesus. Amen.